In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second week in a row uh, that we read the reading of the parable of the sower. Uh, and, and of course, we're familiar with the parable um, that one of the ground of the four types of ground that the sower sowed the seed on was what the Lord called the good ground. And he described this in, um, in the Gospel of Luke uh, when he says, Having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. This is the characteristic of the good ground. Um, and, and each of the types of ground has some kind of a problem, has some kind of, uh, when the word of God lands on it, it, they're not able to bear fruit. There's something about the ground that prevents the seed from implanting and growing and flourishing and bearing fruit with patience all the way to the end. So today we're going to discuss this question is, is it possible for the ground to change? Because sometimes when we read in this parable, we say, okay, well, there's a bunch of different kinds of ground, and then we look at ourselves and we say, well, what is my ground? What, is, what type of ground am I? Um, where, of course, that's important for us to understand who we are and what types of ground that we are. Um, but at the same time, to have hope that it is possible for me to maybe start out as being, uh, you know, a ground that... Uh, doesn't the seed does not implant in me at all like the seed that landed by the wayside and the birds came and took it up, took it up and and to eventually change and to become the good ground right because the work of the holy spirit in us is about transformation it's about change it's not just about me realizing that i have a problem and then saying well this is my problem and i can't change the the idea of of of, of you know christianity is a transformation is a new life is that when we are baptized that our old man dies and then we are resurrected and recreated again right so there's always going to be um, a desire and a goal and a target of wanting to change from being whatever we are today to wherever god wants us to be so i'm going to speak a little bit about this change and specifically two two different points the first one is what are some of the factors in our life that support change what are some things that help us to change and then also, what are some things that hinder us from changing, right? When we look at the factors that support change, our focus is on trying to understand why does God allow certain things in our lives to happen, right? Why does God allow certain things in our lives to happen? What is it, our life experiences, and how does God use these life experiences in order for us to grow, to change, to become better and better to become the good ground and then when we speak about what are the factors that hinder change this is some factors that maybe i have in my life that is keeping me from seeing myself clearly as i am from growing in the lord from changing and becoming the good ground so first we're going to speak about the factors that support change the first is the negative impact of our choices okay when when we make a, a, a wrong choice when we make a wrong choice okay um, and then we see the results of that poor choice on ourselves, on our relationships, on our marriages, on our children, uh, on any aspect of our life. That is when we begin to see that maybe there is something I need to change. Like, so for instance, if someone gets married and then they have constant conflict with their spouse because they lose their temper all the time. <clears throat> and whenever there's a conflict, it becomes a very, very big fight and is actually threatening the marriage itself, right? That is a very big motivator, right, for that person to start working on maybe anger management and working on their temper and asking God to grant them calmness, 
right, in themselves and the way that they respond to things. Maybe when that person was single, uh, it was not as, uh, of course, it, it could be causing a problem, but it wasn't as severe and it wasn't affecting them as much as it is now. Or maybe the way that we deal with our children, someone who loses their temper, maybe comes to the point of, you know, wanting to harm their children when they get very, very angry, right? Makes them realize, like, this isn't something I can continue doing. It's something I have to stop. It's something I, I, can't, I can't continue doing this. We see an example of this in the life of the prodigal son. Right? He, this prodigal son, when he went away from his father's house, he wasted all of the money that he had gotten, all the inheritance that he had gotten on uh, sinful living. And then when he saw the negative impact of his choices, when he saw what exactly he had done, that is what motivated him to change and to return to his father again. So he saw the negative impact of his choice. That's the first uh, factor that, that supports change. Uh, the second factor that supports change is a major incident, okay? Someone gets sick or someone loses uh, a loved one. Um, something that changes and shakes our life, that the things that brought us comfort, that the things that brought us joy in our life and happiness may be suddenly taken away, right? And we are searching for answers and we are searching for something more permanent for us to place our trust in. When we feel like the things that we have placed our trust in, our friends, our finances, our health, the things that have been supporting us in our life is suddenly taken. And we no longer have this that we consider to be something we could trust and rely on day after day, something we imagined that we would never lose is suddenly lost, right? Some, some major incident that happens in our life that causes us to reevaluate what is actually important causes us to reevaluate who I should be putting my trust in, who is the one that does not change, and instead of putting my trust on the things that can change from moment to moment and day to day. These trials that God allows in our life are to help us to see ourselves clearly, help us to grow in Him, help us to change, to become one of those three grounds, to become the good ground, right? This is the way that the change happens, one of the ways. Okay? A third factor that supports the change is a positive environment, a positive environment. When um, we have opportunities to have fellowship with godly people, okay, this helps us to change in a positive way. When I have good, um, you know, when I, when I have good role models, when I have a good environment around me, when I have good family around me, when I have people who are supporting me, when I have encouragement, when I am going to the church, when I'm participating in the sacraments, when, when everything around me is, like, is, is, is encouraging me and motivating me and reminding me of the, of the word of God, reminding me of the love of God, all these things are positive. If you read about um, King Saul, King Saul, at the very beginning, you know, typically when we speak about King Saul, we think about all the negative things that, that he did, and disobeying God, offering sacrifice when he should not have, trying to kill David, being jealous of him. We think of those things. Um, but if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 10, at the very beginning, right at the time, um, at the very beginning when Saul was to become a king, uh, it says, And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets. And the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? You know, like, like at, at the very beginning here, Saul had this positive uh, kind of environment. He had like a positive start. He had a good start, you know. We also should to try to put ourselves in a positive environment as much as we can. 
We should try to be in fellowship with people who believe the same thing that we believe, who promote our faith in the same way that we have faith, right? In Hebrews 10.24, it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, right? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Why? Because the more that we are, are, are in assembly with ourselves, the more that we are in the presence of believers, what should happen is that we are reminded of the love of God, that we are reminded of our purpose, that we are reminded of the, the laws of God, that we are reminded that we should be obedient to God, that we should be joyful, that we should be living in a certain way. All this is part of the positive environment when we come and we, as the body of Christ together, we serve the Lord, we pray, we, 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 we have fellowship with one another, right? This is a positive environment. This is what we need to focus on, is always spending time with those who are believers. When we spend a lot of time with people from other faiths or people who are atheists, I'm not saying that this is a sin, but the more we put ourselves in environments like this, the more we begin to doubt, you know? The more, the more our, maybe our, our friendships become shallow and superficial because they are not built upon the rock. They're not built upon the truth. They're just built upon superficial things, right, in a friendship. Um, not on something that is, is deep. The fourth uh, factor that supports change is experiencing the love of God. Right? What, what caused the change in the life of the Samaritan woman? No? She had this positive experience with the Lord. Like She met with him, and, and he spoke to her, and he spoke to her not any words of condemnation. He, he spoke to her only words of patience and love and kindness and offering her uh, more than just definitely more than the water that she came there to, to draw. Also, Zacchaeus, right? What is it that caused Zacchaeus to repent? It was the love of the Lord, that the Lord is the one who found Zacchaeus and, and said to him, today I will, I will dine at your house, right? The Lord is the one who sought out Zacchaeus and told him, I'm coming to your house today, right? These positive experiences that they had with the Lord when they experienced the love of God, how much God loved them, even though that they were sinners, this is what caused them to change, right? So sometimes just seeing, meditating, contemplating on how much God has sacrificed for us and given up for us that we do not deserve, this can be a motivator itself to change. When we see how much God gives us and blesses us, not because we have done good, but even though we have not done good, right? We, we see the love that God has for us. If we meditate on this love, it helps us to change, help, helps us to grow and become the good ground that the Lord is speaking about. Okay, so what are some factors then that hinder the change, right? Maybe factors that keep me from changing, factors that keep me instead rooted in, in wickedness, or rooted in evil, rooted in bad habits, right? Some things that are preventing me from change. The first is a wrong or missing role model, right? We ask ourselves, who is my role model? Who is it that I want to copy? Who is it they want to imitate? Who is it that I want to be like, right? How do I value the image of God that is in me, right? How do I compare myself? How do I judge myself? How do I, how do I look at myself, right? In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, it says, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Why? Because the role model, the example that I put up on a pinnacle that I'm trying to Im imitate is actually just other sinners, right? Maybe other sinners like myself. 
right? Maybe I justify myself because the people that I compare myself to are other people like me, right? That do the same things that I do. This is why it's, it's typically easier for a person who maybe has a bad habit to have be friends with other people who have that same bad habit. You know, somebody who smokes or takes drugs or those things, things wants to have friends that do the same thing because they are not convicted by what they're doing. They're not, they're not made to feel guilty by what they're doing, and they feel like, well, no, everybody's doing this. Everyone with me is doing this, and we're sharing this together, right? So when I have a wrong role model, when I'm surrounding myself with people who are doing the same thing and thinking the same thing that I am, the wrong things, then it's going to hinder me from changing because I'm, it's reinforcing in my mind all the time that what I'm doing is normal and fine and good, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? So if I don't have a good role model, or, or, or if I don't have a good target, right, to emulate. This is why when we read the stories of the saints and we understand and contemplate the saints is so important for us, you know, because these are the examples of people that had our faith, that shared our faith, and were able to give up even their own lives for this faith. And they were human beings like us. They lived in the same world like us. They were under pressure like us, and yet they did not give in uh, when they were tempted, right? And they were willing to give up even their own lives. So they can be role models for us, right? Or certain Christians, or certain servants, or certain priests, or certain bishops, or certain fr friends, or even our parents. All of these people can be role models to us when we look at their lives and we say, I want to be like that. This is, this is how I want to live. I set my right and good role model to imitate. Like St. Paul, when he spoke to the Corinthians, he told them, imitate me, right? I will be your role model. I will be your father. I will be the one that will teach you by my actions and by my words, how is it that you should live? But when we set, unfortunately, like our youth, when they set role models to be celebrities, they set role models to be people that are just living like horrible life simply because they're rich and famous, right? This is, this is a surefire like path to destruction, right? Because who is it that I'm trying to be like? I'm trying to be like these superficial people instead of being someone like someone who is godly. Um, the second factor that hinders the change is avoiding the mirrors. Avoiding the mirrors. The mirrors are the things that allow me to see myself, right? Like when I look in a mirror, I see myself. If you get up in the morning and you try to get ready without ever looking into a mirror, you will most likely, when you walk out the door, you won't look, you won't look right. <laughs> There'll be something that you didn't notice about yourself, right? We have to look in the mirror in order to, um, to get ready. Right? We have to look in the mirror in order to groom ourselves and to brush our hair and to do these things because unless we look in the mirror, we don't know what we look like. Right? And so people who avoid the spiritual mirror are the people that don't ever want to examine themselves. Right? We never want to look and really see what we look like spiritually. St. Augustine, he said, If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you do not like, it is not the Gospel you believe but yourself. Okay, what, what does that mean? It means the gospel is the mirror, right? The word of God is the mirror. When I read the gospel, I'm looking at the mirror. And the gospel is going to tell me who I am, right? And there's some things that I might find in that mirror that are good and that I like them. And there's some things I might find in that mirror that are not good, that I do not like them, okay? And so some people, when seeing the things they don't like, they try to ignore those things, Right? They avoid those things. They don't want to like, really think about those things. Right? And this is what St. Augustine is saying. It, like, if you reject from the word of God what you do not like, okay? if you reject what you do not like, 
then what is it that I'm really believing? Am I believing in the word of God? No, I'm just believing in myself. I'm making up my own criteria, my own standard for what is right and wrong, right? And not, uh, and not using what is God's standard, what is God's criteria. Um, I can ask what other mirrors are there, right? Other than just reading the Bible, what other mirrors are there? Our Father Confession is a very good mirror, right? Because he cares about us and he sees us objectively and he has experience and he can tell us what are the problems that we need to work on, okay? Other people like our friends, you know, good friends could be a very good mirror. Our parents could be a very good mirror, right? There are a lot of things that if we take seriously, they can be a good mirror to us, right? And the example of King David, when he was blinded to his own sin with Bathsheba and, and killing of her husband, all throughout this story, he, he was not ex looking at himself at all. He, it's like he completely closed his eyes and he did not see in himself all the things that was wrong. But when Nathan the prophet came and he told him the story, right, about, about this, this man who, this poor man who owned a sheep and the sheep was taken from him by this rich man and it caused King David to be furious, right? And then Nathan told him, you are the man. You are the one who did this, right? That committed this sin. And at that moment, King David, it's like he opened his eyes and he saw the mirror, right? And he saw that this was a reflection of who he himself was. What is it that he had done? And this is what allowed him to change. This is what allowed him to fix what was done to repent of, of his sin. So when we do not look in the mirror, right, it hinders us from changing. The third is the hidden ego, right? Um, the ego is a master that resists any change to become more like God. The ego doesn't want to be like God. The ego wants to, to stay the same. The ego wants to be very self-focused. The ego only cares about what's best for me, what feels good to me. It doesn't want to sacrifice. It doesn't want to give up anything. It doesn't want to admit that there is wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't want to admit that at all, right? How can we tell if the ego is a problem for us, okay? The ego manifests itself, this hidden ego that's inside of us. The, the ego manifests itself when we blame others for our faults. It's one example. Right? When I do something wrong and I refuse to admit it and I want to make up excuses for myself, this is the, he the ego. The ego is manifesting. Instead of when someone comes and tells me that something was wrong, my first instinct is to defend myself even if there is no defense, even if it is completely what I've done was completely wrong and it's my fault. Right? What keeps me from change? My ego. Okay? The ego shows itself when we are wise in our own eyes, when we refuse to listen to any advice when we refuse to listen to input from anyone else and that we have in our mind the one thing that we believe is the right thing and we refuse to accept any kind of input and we just do what is wise in our own eyes and not taking any wise advice from anyone else. And then finally, the ego sh um, shows itself when we depend on our own efforts to make the change. The idea, again, like I said at the beginning, is the change is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes the change in us, not because we are really good, not because we are very clever, not because we've read a lot of books about how to change, right? Those things are good, but those things are not sufficient in themselves to make the change. God is the one who wrought the change in us, okay? The fourth factor that hinders our change is a lack of commitment, okay? Um, maybe many people, many of us, we, we, we start on the journey of making a positive change. And that positive change could be in any way, 
you know, like any like like New Year's resolutions kind of things. Like any type of positive change that we want to make in our lives, okay, we, we we say this is what I want to do, okay. But then over the course of this road, because we don't have commitment, we lack the seriousness to continue to the end. Um, many of us desire to make a change, right? Many of us want a lot of things, but just because we want something doesn't mean that we're committed to achieve it. Because something that we really want is something that we have to sacrifice to achieve. And the question is, is, am I willing to sacrifice or not? You know, the difference between a person who wants to be a gold medalist runner and someone who actually is a gold medalist runner is that the latter will actually train every day, right, until they are able to win in the Olympics, right, until they're able to get to the Olympics and to win. Whereas the first person, yes, they, they want to be, they wish they could be, but they're not willing to put any effort to become that. So if, if I say that I really want to be holy and righteous in the eyes of God, maybe if we ask ourselves that question, all of us will say, yes, I want to be holy and righteous in the eyes of God. Well, what is the measure then, if we are truly want to be holy, is what am I willing to sacrifice to be holy? That will determine whether I really want this or not, right? Someone who is really committed is willing to sacrifice time, energy, prayer, whatever, in order to achieve this righteousness that I'm seeking, right? Because I want to be the good ground. I will be committed and I will understand at the beginning of the process what is necessary. That's why when the Lord was calling people to be disciples, he would tell them, count the cost, right? Count the cost. Do you know what does it mean to be a disciple, right? Do you think you have what it takes to be a disciple? Like the man who said that he wanted to follow the Lord, but then he said, but let me go bury my father, right? And, and the Lord said, let the dead bury their own dead. This person was not yet committed to be a disciple. He was not ready yet to follow the Lord, right? Because his mind was divided and he had these other desires in his life, okay? The fifth uh, factor that hinders our change is the use of masks. Not these kinds of masks that now we all wear, um, but the kind of mask where I hide myself, where I hide who I am, right? Maybe being content to live a double life, that I have one life in the church, one life as a servant, and I have a different life in my own personal life at home, or my life at work, or my life with my friends outside of church. This is the double life that we live sometimes, that some people might live, okay? Second Timothy chapter 3, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, right? That I have an appearance of godliness, that maybe some people, when they look at me, they see me as a person who represents godliness, in my rank, in my position, and in, in, in who I am, right? But how is it that I really live? Am I pretending, right? Am I pretending? Maybe this is hindering my change because I'm just, I'm not really doing it sincerely. I'm doing it for a show, for appearances. And so for that reason, I don't really grow deeper in the Lord, and I just stay as a superficial believer. Um, the sixth factor that hinders change is negative influences. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Also, in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Meaning, we as believers should not place ourselves in a situation where we have a lot of friends and acquaintances that are negative influences on us, that are bad examples to us. And, and often, um, people do not want to admit that certain people should be cut out of their life. 
because I like those people. They're friendly people. They're people that I enjoy being with. Uh, we have things in common, right? But is their life leading me to the Lord or not? Are they actually attracting me away from God? Is their lifestyle attracting me away from God, keeping me from growing in God? Right? Maybe this is a, a factor that's hindering my change. Maybe I want to change, but every time I spend time with these people, they tempt me into a lifestyle to do something that is actually preventing me from changing. And then the last point, the last factor that hinders our change is giving up. Okay? We can defeat anything. Okay? We can defeat anything. But if we lose hope and we give up, then we fail. Success is not because necessarily we achieve the goal that we have. Success is that we don't give up in trying. Right? Because this is why we are called to live a life of repentance. And we will be living a life of repentance until our last breath. There will never be a time where we can say, you know what, I've achieved everything, I've gotten everything, I'm, I'm perfectly Christ-like now, I have perfect relationship with God now. No, there will always be more to grow. The, the one who loses is not the one who falls into sin, right? Because Christ gave us a way out of that. Whenever we repent, we rise up again, and, and the Lord said that he will remember our sins no more. So, so falling into sin and having weakness is not defeat, right? Defeat is when we lose hope and we stop trying, right? This is going to prevent us from ever becoming good ground, right? Because we will never achieve it because we don't try anymore. So as long as we're still trying, as long as we're still struggling, as long as we're still fighting, then there is hope for us and that the Lord looks at us favorably, right? Because we are a person who continues to rise again. We are responsible for the struggle and not the victory, right? We cannot control when we are victorious. All we can control is the struggle. The Lord is the one who grants us the victory as a gift, right? Once he sees we have struggled enough, if God chooses to grant us victory over a sin, he can grant it. But even if it is not granted, we are still responsible for the struggle against it up until our last breath. So in conclusion, I want to say that None of us is characterized 100% by one of these four grounds, right? We can't say, yes, I'm only the good ground in every way. And I can't say I'm only the ground that the seed fell among the thorns or the one that fell by the wayside or the one that fell on stony places. I can't say that I am one of these. But we are a mixture of all of these in many different aspects of our life, right? And so what we are being called to do, as the Lord is saying, is he wants us to move more and more closer and closer to the good ground, to be the one that receives the word of God in whatever form that we receive it, and we respond to it positively. We respond to it with repentance. We respond to it with joy. We respond to it with action, right? To become more and more the good ground that yields the, the crop 30, 60, and 100 fold, as opposed to remaining stagnant in one of these other places, without any attempts or trials to grow, to overcome. So we spoke about some factors that um, promote change in us, and we spoke about some factors that hinder change. May God allow us to um, cut out these factors that hinder change and allow us to embrace and to understand the factors that support our change so that we can continue to grow closer to the Lord and taste his goodness all the days of our life. And glory be to God forever. Amen.